Hello everyone, welcome to B-Sides Now, episode two. Uh, today we talked to... Sarah Tudson from Illuminati Hotties. Put out one of my favorite records of 2020, Free IH, and I forget the rest of the thing. This is not the one you've been waiting for. It's a long album title, it's fair, it's okay. Well, we'll say Free IH for short. But, that all being said, uh, we talked to Sarah today about uh, coming up as an engineer, uh, her obviously working on Illuminati Hotties and, and uh, of course, about Free IH, uh, a record that I think lyrically is indicative of the times, being in a band, a developing band, one that's playing clubs, not just going straight to the stadium, uh, and everything you have to do uh, beyond just writing a great record and uh, touring uh, this great, vast country. Uh, as soon as it opens up again, Big fan of the country, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> you, just, like, you want to just start singing the national anthem or some shit? Hey, man. Uh, they canceled my flight to D.C. that day. But anyway, uh, so without further ado, here is our conversation with Sarah. Hey, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining us. What's good? What isn't good, you know? <laughs> Sunday no, morning. My uh, Siri just picked that shit up, dude. My Siri's like, what's up? Hey, Sarah. <laughs> totally thought I said yeah <laughs> yeah yeah oh uh, yeah you know it's the weekend how are you guys doing it's good to be on here I love seeing everybody's faces um, yeah Adam we've not met but Jamie we've I guess I know we've you only talked over the phone we might have been in the same place at the same time once we've or no twice. question been in the same place at the same time but yeah no we've definitely never physically chilled that's that's a yes. problem but it'll yeah. happen We'll get there. We'll get some bagels. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Adam got breakfast, right? Yeah, yeah. Pancakes. Shout oh, nice. Shout out to Rick's on Fletcher and Riverside. Support the locals. Because I've never been to Rick's, but I drive by it all the time, and it looks amazing, and I just have never made the stop. But now that I know the pancakes look like that, yeah. it seems like the possibilities are endless. It's better than the pancakes <laughs> or the French toast. So it's it's all okay. good. It's, it's, one good of the, uh, it's one of the best in the neighborhood, for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I love that. Um, well, yeah. Thanks for joining us, Sarah. We, wanted, we have a lot we want to talk to you about. Um, obviously, everybody who is watching or listening to this, maybe not everybody, but Sarah and I worked together this past summer. Sarah's Project Illuminati Hotties put out this crazy record called Free IH. This is not the one you've been waiting for. Um, and, you know, so we have a little bit of a history together. I definitely know a lot about the record. Mm -hmm. But what was kind of cool was that um, as much as I'm a fan of yours, Adam, you know, this is the record that pulled him in, you know. So we thought, you know, nice. talking just about, like, how much he's loved your record over the years, you know, since it came out. Um, you know, we've like interesting kind of conversations have come up between me and him about you and just about like your career and how you've developed and like, you know, that's what we do. Me and this dude just get nerdy about this shit and talk and he was loving the record. So we just talked a lot about it and, you know, we really wanted to have you on one of the first couple episodes of this because we just felt like you first off are awesome. You put out great music, but you're also <laughs> like, you also have this whole other side to you. Like you do. You're, you're an engineer, you're in the studio all the time, you're working with other artists, you're doing your own shit, like, there's a whole other side of Sears with you that we wanted to talk about as well, um, and then, you know, and then we're, we're going to talk about free age, because we got, we got some questions, we got some thoughts, and um, some nerd points that we will bring up, but... Oh, I guess if you're cool, real. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing, dude. This 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 podcast is really about keeping it real. So we are definitely gonna. It's definitely a safe space to keep it real. <laughs> we're, gonna get, we're gonna get a little German interview wise. <laughs> <laughs> Your record was fine. That's all. <laughs> um, sorry, sorry. My dog is going crazy. Um, oh, that's just, uh, we, we welcome dogs. So if if your dog would like to join the podcast, it's completely fine. I wore this hey, on here. purpose for maybe. Oh my god. <laughs> I was like, I know we have uh, some dog lovers right now, so put my head in. Yes. I should have worn my um, uncle for Hanukkah got me from Amazon.com a long sleeve shirt that just says dog mom. Oh, and that, <laughs> like no card, no context, and I was like, thanks. <laughs> it's a... Uh, 
What's when that? The podcast tanks, we're just going to start a dog podcast. I'm in. I will. I will also be a guest on the dog podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, but it's just with dogs, like no people, just yeah, dogs. No, just we just. Oh, the dogs just talk to each other. Okay, <laughs> we just get them on there and an hour of just two dogs on Zoom, just looking at each other. <laughs> That would Honestly, do it sounds kind of awesome. Yeah, I'm like, that probably would do better than a music business analysis prep. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, anyway, man. sorry, to, I know I interrupted you. My dog saw something outside and went for it. But um, Hey, I feel that. Uh, I'm surprised that yeah. mine is silent right now. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I guess let's start with talking about, like, the producer side of things, because I feel like that's, mm-hmm. you know, people know that about you, but I feel like even just representing you for a little bit, it was always just sort of like a line in the bio. Do you know what I mean? So I, I don't feel like you've ever yeah. really gotten, you know, maybe in some interviews, but I would love for you to talk a little bit more about that side of, you know, your work and maybe, um, you know, what that experience has been like for you over, you know, since you started, you know, really like you don't hear, I hear of a lot of female engineers, obviously, because I'm looking for them and I want to help them, yeah. but I, you really don't like on these big records that are coming out. It's like, cool, Taylor Swift had a dude from the Nashville. It's always dudes, you know? And it's like, that's cool. Yeah. But I would love to hear from you a little bit on just like what your experience has been like and, you know, just riff on that for a little while. Totally, yeah. I mean, I went to college for music and I started studying production and engineering um, after I realized I didn't want to spend all day alone in a drum practice room. For some reason, that drove me crazy. And I was like, I gotta go, I gotta figure something else out. And I realized that there was this sort of production side of things, which it never like occurred to me as a kid that there were producers and engineers. For some reason, it it was like, you're the artist or you're the manager or like the two thing. I just was unaware. And then I went to school and they had this great studio program. And so I got into that. And then after that, I was like a runner for a very brief amount of time at this big major label studio it was awful it was like the worst three months of my life I like didn't sleep I would just I was like totally in like the fourth dimension of reality like not understanding time or health or anything um and I basically right before I quit that I was like cleaning toilets at like four in the morning with this guy who had been working there for three years (laughs) <laughs> and was doing the same job as me. And he's like, yeah, like, I've done a couple, like, assisting in the room. But, you know, I'm just trying to wait for, like, a spot to open up. And I was like, I can't be cleaning toilets in three years. Like, I'm trying, you know, like, I want to do music. I got to do something. And so I started calling management companies all over Los Angeles that represented producers or engineers that I really liked. And I was, I would, like, call them, um, usually get in touch with, like, a a desk like somebody my age who was working at the desk receptionist and i'd be like hey man like what's your name um and i'd kind of like make friends with the receptionist and just be like can i email you my resume like i don't know if you're the managers you work with are ever looking for um assistants or engineers for their producers but like i do this and like you know just let me know if something comes up and i kind of did that for a while i worked briefly for a friend who was kind of producing at a a higher level than I was at the time. And then I got a call from um, Chris Cody's manager and she was just like, do you want to work for Chris? And I was like, yeah. And then I spent three and a half years as Chris's engineer, um, which was really fun. And I learned a lot and I put a lot of credits in my uh, resume. And all the while was just like sort of recording any band that I could convince to let me record them. And it was huge to have you know, Chris as a mentor and also as a uh, studio space. I and mean, when he wasn't there, I was in there at nights and the weekends, just kind of like recording whatever I wanted, recording my own stuff, recording friends stuff, mixing stuff, producing stuff, whatever. Um, and then, yeah, it slowly just sort of pivoted to be more freelance based. Um, and I was getting hired to engineer other projects and the bands I was producing out here were getting bigger and bigger. Uh, and then hottie stuff kind of went off and all of a sudden I found myself with like a year of touring booked and I, that's when I left Chris's. Um, so now it's pretty much 50, 50, like Illuminati hotties work and producing other bands or doing random freelance engineering things here and there. Um, and especially since the pandemic started, I did a lot of mixing. I did a lot of remote production. 
I ended up as, as testing and, um, you know, resources became more available. I started getting in the room with people and it's, this year was a really interesting sort of like test of freelance fate <laughs> for sure. Uh, what was that like, like being in a room, uh, obviously, you know, there's a lot of movement and sweat, uh, but a lot of people have been into the studio that wearing masks and things of that nature. Like, were you a little on edge for stepping into that realm, all things considered, uh, the society we were living in for the last year? <laughs> oh, definitely. I mean, for a while, it felt like a full standstill on both the, my sort of band touring stuff and on production stuff. And, you know, as far as my personal life went, that, that worked to my favor a little bit, um, as I think I need a little bit of a reset button right away. And then um, as I started getting in the rooms with more people, it started with like a friend who was a solo artist, you know, and it could just be me and her in the room. And like that felt pretty comfortable. She lived alone. I lived alone. Um, and then it was like, okay, we got to get a band for this. And like people wore masks and like stayed in the live room and like, it kind of works out. And like with testing and with all that stuff, it, it feels like a little more comfortable than it did for sure. At the beginning, uh, I did one record in New York at, in November and that was the scariest one for sure. <laughs> um, it had been planned far before pandemic, uh, stuff. And then it was just getting closer and closer and we were like, okay, like, uh, it seems like the pandemic's not ending. Um, but I flew out there and just took a test as soon as I landed. Everybody who came in and out of the studio was like keeping each other updated. Um, and then right when I left was sort of when things started to get weird again. There was a little bit of a lull right before the winter, uh, the fall, I mean, I guess. So it was definitely like on the edge of what was comfortable um but it was really fun and i it was basically just like joining a different pod i felt like i was the wild card because i had been on a plane and right. the band pretty much was hanging out together all the time anyway yeah 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 um what were some of the toughest things you had to kind of overcome personally um as you grew and as you like learned within the studio, like were there any sort of like self doubts that you had that you became more comfortable with as as you kind of, you know, uh, accelerated feels like the wrong word, but you know, growth kind of built on uh, what you had known from school. But you know, there's something to be said about the real life experience of of being behind the board and having a band in front of you and things of that nature. Definitely, I mean, I think that like all people in creative fields like every single new project i do i'm like oh, i'm not good enough to make this record like there's just like every single time i'm like all pumped that somebody hired me and then i like think about it and i'm like what they, i don't know if they want like i don't think i can you know do what they really want me to do like and i kind of definitely have huge imposter syndrome constantly um before a project starts and then often right as it, it's about to close up um <laughs> it's kind of like you know it's hard to, to sort of like keep your head straight and like especially as a producer you know i think artists are allowed to go through those psychological paces um of like i don't know if i can do this i don't know if i even remember how to play the guitar like blah, blah blah and often rely on a producer to be like no it's cool like you can you're great and i feel confident in being able to do that once you know when i'm like in the room and everything's happening i feel totally comfortable in my musical abilities or taste or whatever people are looking for in a producer but definitely right right before and like right at the end of projects i'm sort of like oh man this band made the biggest mistake they're ever gonna make <laughs> you know what i mean and i don't know i mean I, I think a lot of creative people feel like that where it's just sort of like uh how did i get chosen to do this and why and you know luckily our reputations precede ourselves and we do have the skills built up and we do have the knowledge and hopefully we're doing projects that, that like stretch our, our limits a little bit but um you know i i mean so far by the time everything is actually turned in i usually feel pretty proud of uh what happened i guess also just sort of like well, Jamie was saying earlier, you know, that there's not a lot of 
non-men or, or female engineers floating around and and that's definitely getting better and like you know every single day i meet new people who aren't men who are making amazing music um but i think historically women are not treated as the technicians on a project and um and so it feels so special every time you like run into someone who is doing that stuff who's not a man um and i also think that a lot of non-men and women who are great producers uh feel like they have to be the artist too like i, I meet a lot of women who are who mostly are doing artist stuff and then they send you demos and you're like you're an incredible producer like what like it's awesome that you're looking for more help but it, it seems like you totally know what you're doing and you could make this record on your own you know mm -hmm. um and i think that sometimes those artists are afraid to like step out of their box and like offer their skills as as a producer also i that was kind of flowing into i i feel like this question is cheap but i also feel cheap if i don't ask it um <laughs> your, you know obviously less female engineers uh i i mean off the top of my head the only one i can really think of and i feel like i'm about to butcher her name is is heba or heba she does a lot of mastering oh yeah 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 heba's amazing yeah incredible um, work she's she's mastered yeah. a bunch of artists that i've worked with um and it, like what are some of could you or would you be willing to talk on and maybe there isn't any sort of negatives that have come with being a female in the studio maybe a band walking in and being like what's this lady know kind of thing you know is there still yeah. that sort of shittiness which i would assume is out there but you know yeah, and all yeah. That, I don't know really where it's going. <laughs> well, it's getting way better. I mean, I do think like, especially working with younger bands, um, it, it tends to not be a second thought, which is awesome. Um, I think that, so basically the straw that broke the camel's back when I was working at the big, large format, major label recording studio was I was sitting in the break room with like my direct supervisor and a couple other assistants. And I was just sitting around kind of being like asking them like what the next steps were, what the process was. And the supervisor who was like kind of like an engineer who got pushed into like a desk role at the studio. So he was like kind of salty anyway, was just like, you're not going to really get in the rooms here. And I was like, how come? Like, you never seen me engineer anything. And he was like, well, you're a girl. And like, that's just kind of not really the vibe of the studio. And I was like, oh, okay. But like, what if I'm, <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, it shouldn't really matter. And he's like, yeah, but you know, it kind of does. And so, uh, I mean, I would be surprised if you got pushed up over like any of the other guys here, you know? And I was just like, all right. And I just didn't come into work the next day because <laughs> I was like, I don't want to work for this guy. Like I can find something know. else. And obviously all signs were pointing to that. It was kind of a dead end anyway. Um, yeah. But yeah so that was really weird um and then i will say working for chris was awesome and i he often was working with bands fronted by people who weren't men and i think he just did a great job of fostering an environment that was like your gender doesn't matter and like it's music that matters and it's just never a, a topic of discussion um every once in a while an artist would come through and be kind of weirded out or or feel like they, they like couldn't be like with the guys you know like couldn't like talk shit about girls or like i don't you know like be like shitty broy beer hangs or whatever because i was there and those artists often were not people that chris wanted to hang out with um or me <laughs> so there was definitely you know there's definitely some of that um vibe floating around but again i've been really lucky for a lot of my career to work with people who do want li to lift women up and who um often i'm not the only woman on the project um and sometimes there's usually majority non-men on the projects in, in a lot of scenarios lately and i think just something about the way the world is is functioning right now is is um is making it a little friendlier or just like kind of a tired narrative of like shitty rock dude in a leather jacket yeah. like objectifying the woman walking around you know yeah uh, yeah, yeah those dudes are gonna like they still are definitely out there 
but I feel mm -hmm. like there are more people in place now who are looking out for non-men and looking out for other these other people and and th these dudes who are still out there doing their their shitty whiskey a go go vibes you know they yeah there are more people standing in their way to to check them you know what Adam yeah. what I can't talk shit about the whiskey a go go on this podcast the whiskey a go go I can talk tons of shit about that place that place sucks yeah pay to play <laughs> I just I just think like shitty whiskey a go go six six band uh, opener oh. <laughs> oh. I mean it's honestly I have to bring it up that was. <laughs> rough it's just a rough unfortunately it's not just whiskey a go-go dude like yeah. you know i was yeah. when i was first starting i was pretty disheartened to see a lot of that misogyny coming from pop and from uh hip-hop and from you know genres yeah. that i i thought had really lifted women in a lot of ways uh you know like at that major label studio there was a big artist in one of the room and i i walked out to the like kind of like hang couch area and there's this like really cute girl sitting on the couch reading and I was like, can I get you anything? And she's just like, no, I'm okay. And I was like, are you waiting for like to get in a room? Like, do you need me to like call one of the studios so they can let you in? And she's just like, oh no, like I'm just waiting out here for my boyfriend to, to be done. And she was just like sitting on the couch at one in the morning waiting <laughs> around. And I was like, that's like, why can't she hang, you know? Right, yeah. Um, and that was a total pop session. I mean, that wasn't, that wasn't like, uh, you know, whiskey a go-go guy. <laughs> no, um, I used to work at yeah. major labels in like, I know the exact environment you're talking about. Like, yeah. all, like the roster that, you know, at the time that I worked there, it was all like pop and like, you know, urban and then like a little bit of the like radio friendly rock stuff, you know? And yeah, yeah. yeah it was, it ran rampant in buildings like that. And it probably, I haven't, you know, I just like you, I got out as soon as I could and I haven't gone back and you know, yeah. it could still be like that. <laughs> it's probably still in a way cause that culture is something completely different. It's crazy. And it's like, I don't know if there are many people in those. Yeah. Places. And there's also older men. Yeah. hundred percent. All yeah, it's it's still run a lot by older men, it, and like a lot of producers are like fifty year old white dudes, so it's not really in their favor, in their benefit to like um, give women agency yeah. in their studio, you know? Yeah, crazy, and they're surrounded by people just like them, so they all kind of like support one another in their shittiness, and it's just like, oh, okay, this is cool. I guess you guys are happy here, but it is kind of frustrating. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's definitely. I know that feeling being around those kinds of people. Yeah. And I will say, all that being said, uh, there are amazing, amazing women who are engineers and who are producers and who are making great, great music in spite of all that. Or maybe that, you know, like, I think there's a lot of women who are lucky that they don't have to deal with that. And they are lifted up by their studios and by the people around them and the artists that they work with. And, and it, it, it shouldn't be like a roadblock at all though like there shouldn't be any question of like a 50 50 chance of could you be in an environment where you not being a man makes you makes it makes the vibe different you know right yeah like the, that's not the vibe we have here that they that guy told you yeah. is like, then your vibe sucks <laughs> like, yeah exactly yeah crazy um, well, cool. I guess, I mean, let's, you know, we can talk about, I want to get into free age before, you know, we can talk about, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to talk about free age. And I think, you know, I was kind of gave you a little bit of this, like, oh, sorry, what's up, Adam? I have, I have one more question to touch on studio stuff, and then we will get into free age. Oh, okay. By all means, Adam, my bad. What, was your, <laughs> what did you tell us to call you? The great fool? The, the greatest fool. The greatest fool. Go ahead. <laughs> the greatest um, food no no I, I i did have just one more question um it, you talked a little bit about that imposter syndrome and you know creatives kind of get in their own headspace god knows i've worked with enough of them i understand what you're talking about um for you is it more stressful working on other people's music or being in the studio and working on your own um, um and behind and in front of the the console here um so I'm, I'm curious before we get into the record sorry jamie to interrupt no no you you know I, what you put that down on our notes that was a very good point i'm glad you brought it up <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think that it it's pretty 50 50 honestly i think it's just different reasons 
you know, like I think that when I'm working with another band, it's like, oh my God, like why do why do I have the the creative license over this person's project? Like who whose idea was it to like trust me with this great music, you know? <laughs> um and that's that's just one one side of the equation. And then definitely as an artist, it's just sort of like I, I feel like sometimes you listen back to a song and you're like, wow, like I'm really proud of myself. I went for it. I accomplished what I was going for. I think it's going to go well. And sometimes you listen back and you're like, I am so full of shit. Like I have, I've never written a song in my life. Like this sucks. <laughs> Everything sounds crazy. Like, <laughs> so there's a little bit of both just for different reasons. I'd say. Nice. Did you feel that way when you made free? I age? Yes. A hundred percent. I mean, especially cause that one was made so quickly in such a weird vacuum for such a specific reason that I got to the end of it. And I was like, this might be the end of the band. <laughs> I'm like, I could put this out and people will be like, this is crazy. I don't care what this band puts out next. <laughs> yeah. I love that. And you were in the middle of working on other stuff when this kind of hit you. So yeah, I can understand that, you know, it kind of just had to come out of you. And at the end of it, just looking back, being like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, what am I yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was very much that feeling of like, I, I remember sending it to my managers and just being like, I, does it sound like an album? <laughs> <laughs> and then when they like, was their reaction pretty immediately like, whoa, like, Sarah, wow, this is incredible? Or, like, how did you feel, like, before and after sending it? You know, once you got that, did you ever get to a point where you were like, yeah, actually, this is pretty dope? Yeah, I think once, I think for that one, it, it was just moving so quickly that it really took me until I had all the masters back in or in sequence um, and being able to listen to everything, like, without touching it you know like mm -hmm. i i try and and like listen to stuff with my screen off a lot because otherwise i'll just like move all the faders around on pro tools and like make changes that don't matter and so the first time for free ih where i was like okay i think this could be really cool was hearing everything back in sequence without being able to change anything <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah with your hands like handcuffed behind a chair <laughs> exactly yeah exactly and you know definitely like sending it to people who ha had no idea what the project was gonna be or what was going on like and hearing sort of like friends responses or uh people that i i personally am inspired by who were able to take a listen and they were like this is you have to put it out you know and so i was like i was like really affirmed by a lot of external validation i think in that it was actually a complete sounding album and it wasn't just like a crazy like <laughs> me going on a guitar bender <laughs> fair enough uh, yeah it's funny like at, this was like adam loves this record and i want him to speak to it because it's just funny because you know german part he's don't cross that often now for the German part of the interview, we said we're gonna get real. Let's get real. No, um, yeah. So it's spicy, Flyter. Let's go. No, no, not spicy. Uh, oh, not spicy. Oh, okay. So, so content bedtime was my top played song on Spotify. So I hope you enjoy that dollar awesome. fifty-seven cents that you'll get from that. Um, Thank you. <laughs> uh, I I wasn't a fan of the first record. Uh, that's fair it wasn't for me <laughs> wasn't my thing uh and jamie was like so like i've got like it's like the secret illuminati hotties record and i was like okay like let me and she played something i forget what song you even played for me i was like this is really good like this is awesome and she's like yeah it's not like anything else um and then heard the single uh i think let's smash to a podcast might be the best opening line of any record in 2020 <laughs> um it feels, it feels dated but in time it feels relevant um and it just yeah I, everything about it was just something it, it felt like a lot of the stuff it felt like you were expanding on a lot of ideas on this one and almost that freeness of being like this is not the record that you 
you were expecting or whatever. And I say that as daughter's former agent of, you know, you won't get what you want. Um, it's interesting when a band sort of like, or any artist sort of evolves their sound. And I think the, the big thing I looked at it, like the first Cloud Nothings record didn't do anything for me, but then they did something really dark and heavy while maintaining some of the pop sensibilities that they had on the first record with Attack on Memory. And that one really captured me. Um, and I've liked records here and there, <laughs> you know, from them sort of moving forward. So I, I guess my big question is, is, you know, was there a mindset to be like, this specifically will not be the Illuminati Hotties record? Like, I, I, this is a headspace I'm in. I'm almost going to be reckless and just make this crazy fucking record. Um, I, yeah, like, in but there's still some sensibilities from your past work that are, that are present within the record itself. Does that sound German enough for you? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> yes. That was perfectly German. Um, no, I, 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 that's exactly what it was, was kind of giving myself the space to like, not have it be, I kind of like was able to do the sophomore slump of an album without really like putting all my money on the sophomore slump. And, uh, <laughs> that was really exciting and 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 i got to try out a lot of stuff that was just like um inspired by music that i love that maybe didn't definitely didn't fit into the first record maybe didn't even fit into what i was already working on but was something i would i would love to try you know like more sample -y, drum loopy stuff more like effects like every single song on that album has guitar tracks where it's just my amp totally cranked no pedals like black flag style like pure amp distortion um as the tone which i've always wanted to do and never really found like the right place to make that work in in other hottie stuff um going like lyrically kind of like really stretching uh melodically kind of like losing melody in places and and doing more like uh you know just like rhythmic stuff was was really exciting and really fun and some pl a place that i might not have gotten if i was just making what would be a huge rollout full us campaign whatever like you know ih2 record uh so yeah there was a lot of that just like having more freedom of expression because there was like less pressure in a way was there any point that you felt like you were going to release it under a different moniker because you didn't feel like maybe this is the record I want to put this project's name on and maybe it should be something different. Yeah, I definitely, I, I constantly sort of play with that idea because I do think in general, a lot of my music that I write sort of feels like it comes from different, fully different corners of my brain and I'm not always sure how to put it together on the same record or in the same universe as the first record or whatever. Um, I couldn't do that because of the reason that, it, you know, like it had to come out as Illuminati Hotties because of contractual stuff with leaving the previous label label and going out as a self-released artist. Um, so I couldn't change the name. And I also, I don't know, I mean, I think that it, it allowed me to show a fully different side. And I think that one of the coolest things about Illuminati Hotties is it seems like there truly are no rules in a way that I haven't felt in other projects that I've played in. Um, and it seems like I can still take fans from previous stuff and gain fans like yourself who didn't like or didn't know the previous stuff or did it, it just wasn't your vibe. I can sort of like bring those people in too and kind of combine the worlds and like hope that both worlds follow me to the next project. Is it now, expanding on your your talent uh has that sort of seeped its way through to the real sophomore illuminati hotties record in any way has that sort of changed the, is there an effect to i guess people like me being like oh i didn't really like lesser but i really like this one you're like oh maybe okay now i'm confident in those things that i've tried maybe i should sort of incorporate them or do you look at it like this is sort of a one-time experiment and doesn't fully represent the project that is Illuminati Hotties and I'm going to do, I guess this is a long-winded rant of, you know, who, there's always that thing, 
especially now I feel like because the market is so saturated and there feels like a greater entitlement towards fans of a younger generation or a newer generation of just like, well, you write music for me. I pay you. This is what I want kind of thing. Do you ever, would you feel that pressure to be like, wow, this was a bigger success than I thought it was going to be. Maybe I should incorporate these things kind of moving forward. Definitely. I mean, I wasn't expecting the response that I got from Free IH. I didn't expect to gain as many fans as I did. I didn't expect to appeal to a whole different universe and that it would work. I, I definitely had imposter syndrome in that too, where I was like, if I make a really hard, heavy album, are there going to be punks that are like, ah, I heard the first record and like, she's not really punk, you know? Like, I, I was really afraid of that. And I think that luckily people got on the bandwagon and were down with it and the music spoke for itself, which was what I intended to happen, which was great. Um, and I have been, you know, as I'm sort of turning in last little bits of this next EP, having a little bit of that anxiety of like, okay, I open up this new can of worms, this this sound that like really appeals to a whole new fan base. Uh, and also I'm going backwards in time to stuff that I wrote far before Free IH and finishing those tracks, putting them all on an album because I think they're good and I think that they deserve to be heard, but they, it does feel a little like weirdly time machine, like retroactive. And I think I've grown as a, as a producer and a writer. Um, I will say though that Free IH didn't come fully out of left field in that there is stuff that's that will be on LP3 that's like, was me sort of already starting to stretch what I knew how to play on guitar and like what I was liking hearing in other bands and, and stuff like that. So I do think it, some of those songs hint at the same chaos that Free IH had, it doesn't go pedal to the metal in the same way. Um, and it has a lot more pop sensibility and elements that C Kiss Your Frenemies maybe started to, to peel away at. Um, so yeah, I definitely have a little bit of anxiousness of like, not sure that I brought enough of Free IH into the new album, because it kind of happened after the you know the timeline is all warped right. um that being said i i think that there's a there's a lot of pieces in that older music that was pointed towards what ended up being vih and so maybe it might bridge the gap a little bit in a cool way cool. yeah I, I mean i think it will i don't know I, i'm excited to hear what you do next dude i feel like if anything, it just shows that you can try anything you want and it's it's gonna all fit into the universe you've built for yourself. So it's pretty cool to see. And I feel like there's definitely not a lot of comparable artists or bands out there that are taking those kinds of risks now of all times too. It's like people are you know falling back on what works instead of just stepping out of their comfort zones like you did. And I think you know the imposter syndrome thing is so relatable, but the funny thing about it is like, it's literally, I think as I grow up, I realize like, it's literally never going to go away. <laughs> like It's just always yeah. a part. Every, the older I get, I think like, oh yeah, well, when I'm older, I'm not going to feel like I don't know what I'm doing. Are you kidding me? Like the way you talked about that, like that's how I felt when your managers called me to work on free age. I was like, me, <laughs> me, you want me? It was crazy. So I definitely understand that. And um, yeah, I think whatever, however you infuse that into the next record is going to be dope. Um, but I think it's it's cool. I mean, I it's kind of, it seemed kind of crazy to think like an artist would factor in the fan reaction to what they write. But I think you kind of almost do it subconsciously, you know, where you're just like, yeah, you know, as you're making stuff going forward, you're going to remember all the things you tried on that record, like Adam was saying, and, you know, maybe they'll come out in interesting totally. ways later. You don't even know. So it's cool. Well, I think Sarah also touched. I want to be. Sorry, go ahead, Adam. I, I was going to say, I, I think you always you also touched on the fact of like, I didn't think this was going to work and then it did and it got a good response and and not necessarily putting the uh that pressure from the fan base but i feel from what i was hearing was i tried something that i thought wouldn't have worked and it just was what it was and it did work which builds confidence that i can bring that sort of element into future things that i'm writing and not necessarily yeah. for the german like me uh to be like wow i really hope adam likes this <laughs> next one i gotta make sure it's it's aggressive um because everybody's taste in music is is quite different yeah yeah i'm i think that um you know 
just sort of I, I want to be like an, an ascended artist that doesn't care at all what people think and just like m makes out of like pure uh, self-imposed like in inspiration but definitely as like as I toured more and more like that fan reaction is huge when you're seeing it in real time and you're like sort of force forcing yourself to reckon with like if i play this song like is everybody gonna dance are they gonna have a great time or are they just gonna like stand there like this and wait for the headlining band to come on or something like i i think that all artists have the fan in the back of their mind and and it's in some cases a good idea to factor in like what you think is going to work but in a lot of cases you know i try and drop that as much as possible because we don't know what's what's going to work you know what i mean right. like th there's just no way to know and there's no way to i think we can try and predict like what is an undeniable hit and more often than not though there's always going to be somebody who comes out of left field who's just totally changing the game and and then that's the person that everybody tries to emulate you know for the next five years yeah. um and then it gets tired and then something else happens um so I don't know. I mean, I definitely wish I could let go of the fan in the back of my mind a little more, but I do want, I do want to make music that's commercially acceptable. And like, if I didn't, then I, free IH could have been 60 minutes of noise and I would have loved to make that. But there is a part of my brain that just is like, has pop sensibility. And it was, it's hard to fully let go of that. You know, who would love that noise record? <laughs> Is he next to me? Yeah, I don't know where he is. Maybe that's point up. <laughs> this guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this guy. Yeah, I mean, there. Record. you know, there's a track on Free IH called Free For All that's just, it's like a minute of noise and no input mixing sounds. And um, like when I first started Free IH, the sketch of it was like way more of that mm. um, and way less guitar and way more sort of like ambient noise rock kind of thing uh and it, it was a it was a failed experiment I, I did about like 20 minutes of of like, like i made about 20 minutes of tracks that i thought could fit in that world and i just i was like you know like that that's just not going to accomplish what i want to do with free ih and i do want there to be a reason for people to go listen to it and like that noise record it was really fun but like that's not an everyday listen for sure <laughs> and I still am just trying to cut it and pay my rent, you know? <laughs> I, would just, I would just like the audience listening or watching this to know that we, there is a lost uh, Illuminati Hotties noise record. Holy crap, yeah. There's and another... In the world. And the you're one you didn't know that you didn't know that you... <laughs> yeah. Dude, you gotta keep that in your pocket someday. You gotta bust that out someday. Yeah, this is gonna be the... Yeah, I mean, it's cool. We'll cut it out of the podcast if you want, so that way it's a secret. We got you. No, no. I, <laughs> I think she should find, and, like, when when she can tour again, you know, in, like, the next five years, um, that she can make, like, a noise tape, like, like out of 20, and you have to play it. Mm. And, you know, you gotta go the full nine yards. True. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is all shit that I love, and I love artists that are, work in that realm, and it's something that I thought that I was gonna maybe do this time around, and then I was just like, you know, it's really, it's, it's hard to not write a song when you're making music, you know? It's really hard to sort of release the, the, like, technical skills of, like, song making when you're working on a record, for me. Yeah. Hey man, you write a good song. You can't help it. It's all good. <laughs> thanks, thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and we were talking a lot about this record. I think there was like a little bit, like we, it was fun. Adam, you were talking about it on the phone the other day about how like, we know that this, we know the context of the record, obviously everybody knows, like you've done plenty of interviews. You're welcome. Um, but <laughs> I'm, just, you. I'm just fucking around. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just fucking around. I'm having fun. Um, no, like, we know the context is very personal, and it comes from your experience and what you went through and all this stuff, but, you know, Adam and I were talking about it, and it's almost like, 
it could also just apply to like being an artist either not even in the pandemic but even beforehand and i think adam you can speak a little bit more to this thought because it was your 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 comment that i'm referencing but my, my crazy tangent uh yeah. yeah but it was it was cool to think about because it's like he you know you can explain it better but you it was not a tangent it was smart that's all yeah, uh yeah there's uh, i think being it, this this actually goes back to a conversation i was having with jamie's husband uh, like a weekend or so ago um what it means to be a band in this era you know like all the things you have to do you have to have an instagram and a twitter and you have to interact with fans and you know i, I think content bedtime was my favorite track because a it was kind of like an indie holler back girl where i can spell <laughs> bodies and bananas now um that's so <laughs> sick <laughs> uh, uh but, i love that you know, it, it makes you sort of like think about you know like like just on a personal experience it was like you know i ran a small agency for for two years uh and it was like having an instagram and like telling people about things and all this stuff and it's like bigger agencies have an entire marketing team that does that and it's like yo it's my job to book the fucking tour and it's the promoter's job to promote it but now it's also my job to promote my artists and it's also you know the artist's job to promote themselves and it's also everyone's job and it's just it's so much beyond just make a fucking good record or not necessarily make a good record mm -hmm. music is subjective but make a record that connects with people in in some way whether musically or lyrically and that connection alone should mean something beyond like all this extra added bullshit that artists sort of have to do into the world and and think about all these little nuanced things besides like i made a good record i go out and tour on it hopefully it connects to people uh wash you know wax on wax off we kind of move out in, into the world and it just this record lyrically feels like sort of like the burnout that i think a lot of uh i don't want to say smaller artists but uh, developing artists are kind of dealing with you know where it's just like oh i gotta do this i gotta do this i gotta do this and it feels like all this shit takes the focus off the meat and potatoes, which is the record, the album, the the live experience of it all. Um, you know, it's all these narratives that have to be built to sort of back the music and the art itself. You know, like I don't walk into a museum and, you know, am bombarded with the marketing. I walk into the museum to see the art as it is and as it stands and, and to take that in. Um, I watch a film to, to take in the art of it. I mean, we're obviously bombarded with that with late night, you know, its own promotional gig, but, um, there's just something about the way that I personally feel we have somewhat bastardized the, uh, the process as to which being a band and being a, a modest mid-sized band, um, kind of coming up and getting to a point, uh, where, success is a lot of different things to a lot of different people and this record very much seemed to be that sort of scathing take on that so maybe i'm wrong maybe i just ranted about nothing but just kind of curious your thoughts no it definitely is that and that part uh of this business sucks and is also unavoidable to an extent you know and i, I desperately wish that you know we could be in a time of like like be like when Sufjan Stevens started making music and like there's no social media to this day really like I think his label has social media but I don't think he does like he just doesn't get on the internet he just sits in his apartment in New York and makes weird noises and orchestral masterpieces and then puts them in the world and like everybody's excited about it and that's awesome and that's <laughs> that's pure dog here in the corner um <laughs> but uh that's just not sort of the reality of like, if you want to be a band where the band is your business and is your, you know, token to play in the capitalist scheme that we're all trapped in right now, mm -hmm. uh, you have to play the game. And, and I, I get that constantly from artists that I work with as a producer where they're like, man, like, I wish it could always just be studio time. Like, I want to just like turn all my stuff off and like, not talk to managers like not talk to Insta not be on instagram not be on twitter or whatever like i just want to like make music like how pure and exciting is that 
and they're right. Mm -hmm. But especially now that touring is not a thing and might not be a thing for a little while, like you can't just subsist on being the band that tours 300 days out of the year and builds their fan base that way. There's other ways to access people. There's other ways to, to participate in this, you know, technological labyrinth we've built for ourselves just as people and as businesses. And I don't think it's shameful to, to, ha to think of your band as a business and to say like, like, just as if you were like a bakery or a restaurant or a t-shirt shop or whatever, like there's a part of you that's like, okay, like how are we going to let people know that like, there's a bakery on this street, you know, like, is it the signage? Do we have the Instagram to like, if you want to be a band that is making money as a band that's able to pay rent, that's able to do stuff in order to go into your hole and do your artistry without having everybody on the phone, you have what you have to come back out and sort of let people know what you're up to um, in some way. And like, there's artists that just have the fan base built in somehow from years and years of making music that doesn't need that stuff but i think for the most part you know you have to work at the business side of stuff too in order to make everything make the wheel spin and that, that that was important to me as much as i love making art and turning off my phone and playing guitar all day long it's important that i keep doing that and it was really a, a value that i wanted to uphold that i all i wanted all my jobs to be in music I, you know what i mean like i didn't want to be paying my rent at a coffee shop job, no shade, and then playing music because it was fun. I wanted to be able to play music because it was fun and then keep playing music because people wanted to pay me to do it, you know? Well, I guess it presents a question to both of you, especially you, Jamie, is when promoting uh, record and artists, whatever, tour, when are we hitting within this confines of, uh, of an overly saturated market, obviously, um, when does that become a thin line of, of marketing and, and getting your, for lack of a better word, product out there? And when does it feel like desperation? I mean, shit. I, the, I think for me, when I, you know, it's funny, I, I'm actually working with a band right now who only has Instagram and it's been really interesting. So I'm just like, they have no interest in trying anything else and it, the Instagram works for them. And I think that's the, the key here is, you know, if it's authentic, then you know, it has to feel authentic in every way from how you yeah. use it, which ones you gravitate more towards and what you post, like all that stuff has to be real to you or else it is going to feel like, yeah, you're just grinding and you're just doing shit to do it. And when you're just doing it to do it, yeah, that authenticity is missing. And I think that's the thing that people are able to click onto, you know, and that's, that's what they gravitate towards. So if you're just kind of, you know, grinding it out, that the results are going to speak for themselves, you know, like, but if you can find a way, I always tell people like, try to make it fun, like try to come up with a way to make this fun for you. Like, yeah, maybe doom scrolling is not fun, but nobody said you have to stay on the app. You know, nobody said you got to, you know, there's ways True. to make it work for you. That's, that's the key part of it. And um, I think every artist and every band, they've all got to figure that out for themselves. It means something different for everybody, but I don't know. There's probably no easy answer to that, but <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think authenticity is key. And if it makes you feel like you want to die to put pictures of yourself <laughs> on the internet, then then it's not worth, like, I feel like, the, yeah. the, I mean, everybody's talking about TikTok right now. And I think all the artists are just like torn apart by how do I make a TikTok video? Yeah. And if it's, if it's like horrifically cringy and embarrassing for you to make a TikTok video, no one's going to want to watch it, including yourself. And like, exactly. if, if it's funny for you and you can do it in a way that feels like it's a part of your personality and feels like it's fun or you're being creative or whatever, then it'll work and you'll get recognition for it on the, on the app. And it's the same thing with any other app, you know, like if you just have a Twitter to say like, Hey, the album's out and that's the only thing you do. Like, that's cool. Some people use Twitter to, put all of their dumb brain thoughts in one sentence on the internet like me <laughs> so, exactly so like it you know i think that it, it is about having fun and playing pl playing the game in a way that's not gonna like suck the soul out of your body you know and if you are a pure artist that really cannot handle it and just wants to make great music it's either gonna not reach the audience that you want it to or if it's important for it to reach the audience then you have to think about who 
in your business is going to be the person who does it if you don't want to, you know? Yeah. It's hard. I mean, I don't know. I wish, again, I wish I could say that it's just like about making a great record and playing the great show and that's it. Um, and that is it for a lot of bands. And I think that it works for if, depending on what you want to accomplish, but if you want it to be your business, then it, it does have to involve a few other aspects. That being said, it's not my favorite part. And I, to come back around full circle, uh, content at a time is definitely a scathing critique of that. And when you're on tour and the, the, like the sort of grind is like, wake up, get in the van, post about where you're playing that night, play the show, go to sleep, wake up, post about like that is like, it, it feels terrible unless you're having sort of like the most fun tour ever. And you have pictures of every national monument you went to, or like your band is like, giving you just like insane, hilarious content to put online all the time, which happens sometimes, but sometimes it's just like, I'm playing in Arkansas, <laughs> you know, and like, that's the that's way it. That's it, that's all I got for you. <laughs> yeah. Because the toughness exactly. there, that says everything. <laughs> like, you should be grateful I never come to Arkansas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then three days later you get, the, why don't you play Arkansas? <laughs> exactly on the comment of the photo is like <laughs> when you're like i'm playing houston tomorrow night and then like three days later they're like come to houston and you're like uh <laughs> sure <laughs> next time That's yeah my my favorite yeah. is so still, it's it's a grind my favorite is still posting uh an ad mat and then someone being like why don't you play cleveland it's like it's very clearly on the date <laughs> I, I don't know like can you not read like i don't understand this yeah. Yikes. people are moving fast on the internet that's for sure yeah yeah no for sure that's hilarious what was just like a random thought like when it comes to like not the making let's take away the making of the record and the playing live part when it comes to the side of it that is sort of like a little bit of an annoying part for a lot of people for free IH, did you at least have a little bit of fun with it um in a way yeah i mean Unfortunately, Free IH coincided with a really uh, hard time in my life. Um, I was making the record. Uh, I made it like I finished it. Like I got final mixes back right in the middle of March, like as everything closed pretty much. Um, and then the plan was to put it out in July. So we, you know, slowly started pulling together all these pieces. Um, it got leaked. That was fun to see on the Internet. And um and no, then video, you know <laughs> the that video had to have been a blast <laughs> yeah the video was a lot of fun um it was you know it was filmed after quarantine had already started so it was pretty skeleton crew like just me and the camera person slash editor guy and like um a couple friends that just came to help do set dressing and stuff and it was so fun and it, we did it in this big warehouse where there's a lot of space and um and then my parents' front yard. <laughs> so, oh, <nice. laughs> um, yeah, like doing all that stuff was really fun putting it together. Um, but, you know, the goal with Free IH was to move fast and not not take too long to think about doing the like, here's a single, here's a single, yeah. here's a single. It was just like, boom, you know, like, and that was it. And I was really happy. I really wanted to try and do like kind of a a, a surprise drop, like Beyonce style moment and it was really fun to see how that worked if it would work jamie was super instrumental and just like kind of like i remember when we explained it to you you were just like yeah i get it <laughs> and it was like it was like ah oh, like thank god like somebody, yeah. somebody understands like kind of what the whole vibe is and it just clicked instantly um and we had so much stuff preemptively sort of like slated to go up on blogs and stuff which was great um so weirdly though Weirdly, unfortunately, uh, my mom passed away the night before Free IH came out. Um, and there was a, I basically, I texted David and Tristan and I was like, I'm turning everything off. Like, you guys take care of it. And so I didn't really get to see the, like, the, whatever you want to call it, like the feedback of, of the response to that record. Uh, and then I logged on a few weeks later after the dust had settled a little bit just to kind of check it out and say hi and whatever. Um, and it looked like it went great. And like, that was awesome. But yeah, I definitely like was just my brain was not yeah thinking about that stuff at all. And I just the second 
things got really bad, I just fully ejected myself from the doom scroll. You got to, yeah, you, you, you have to. And I think it's a good reminder for other artists to hear that from you, like that even, you know, someone like you where you're at in your career, like for a younger artist to hear that, like, yo, sometimes you do just got to step away from this shit. Like, cause this at the end of the day is not it, you know, like, especially the part that happens exactly. here is definitely not it, you know, and that can always be left behind. Um, yeah, it must've been just like a, that's a crazy time. And then, I mean, the rest of the year, you know, normally you put out a record and you get to hit the road with it. And then on, so on top of all that, you're still just home. <laughs> that's just crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Well, I, I mean, the good news is that be <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't, I mean, I can't wait to play some of this stuff on stage. Um, I think the good news was that when we made the record because of the nature of how we wanted it to go and how we wanted to package it and sell it and like how we wanted to sort of be like this is it like like next you know the when when we were sort of like tying up the strings at the end of february and beginning of march the plan was always to do a really short super speed tour like garages basements diy spaces only packed as, as much as we could get them and then kind of like never play free ih again so the good news is that the pandemic was still happening <laughs> far into the summer and so I didn't really feel like I missed out on like the big US, you know, yeah. full US headline that I would would want to do behind, you know, what will be LP3. Nice. Yeah. So yeah. But yeah, it's it, it it at the end of the day, you're right though, Jamie, in that it's not about what's on your phone. And the trick now is to find out how as artists do we do we get the validation we want or need or the sort of like human response, you know, which you get from a live show, but you don't really get from a live stream or a Instagram post or whatever like that, that feels not even a fraction as impactful as like seeing people react in real time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, bullshit. Hopefully it comes back sooner than later though. <laughs> Shit all we can hope i for. hope so too i think it's crazy though that you ready to put that vaccine in my blood straight up dude inject that shit literally um yeah i can't believe that you were gonna do a thing <laughs> where, like if if all if there was no pandemic that you would have had that like one chance to see free ih live and that would have been it that's still so cool that's like a missed like cool moment for sure but uh you know yeah. in our benefit you'll get to play these songs live whenever so it's cool but yeah that would be pretty badass for the theme of everything. <laughs> yeah, it definitely felt like, like a good way to do it. Um, and a way that seemed fun and like kind of like a in a way like a step that Illuminati Hotties skipped because we we did a, a, a lot of small headlines here and there as we were touring, but a lot of our majority of touring through 2019 was supporting way bigger artists in yeah. in venues that we wouldn't have had the capacity to play at that point probably yeah uh so i kind of did want to go backwards a step and like do the smaller rooms you know talk to the people who are running the spaces for their town and uh make that feel like a part of the free ih story but yeah i mean when touring comes back i'm sure we'll play it in some capacity or you know pick the hits off the record and weave it into the new set and i'm really excited about that Sweet. Adam, do you have any other thoughts or questions for our friend Sarah? Uh, no, I just, one of my favorite records of 2020. What can I say? Thank yeah. you. <laughs> it's awesome getting to a little bit more, I mean, like, even just for me, like, working with you, but then getting to hear about it a little bit more with you now is awesome. Um, you're just, like, so creative and so, you're just, like, an adventurous kind of artist, and I'm excited to see what you do next. That was sick, right? Yeah, that yeah. was a good conversation. Um, haven't had brunch like that in a minute, <laughs> so that was that was very nice. Yeah, I personally, I appreciated how vulnerable Sarah got uh, when she was talking about being an engineer and a producer, and you know, even when a band comes to her because they want to work with her, she still feels a little bit, you know, of that imposter syndrome. And I think uh, I know I can relate to that. I think everybody can. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, what did you get out of that chat? Alex? I, you know, I the response to the question about uh, her, you know, again, content bedtime top song. But I think that's the most relatable to any band, especially in 
2020 of all years, um, having to like kind of keep up with the rat race seems like the wrong word, but you know, it's a very saturated market out there. There's tons of bands trying to develop. There's tons of bands trying to get in front of other bands. Um, and you know, she's not stoked. It seems about it like any band is, but she recognizes that she's got to kind of play the game to the extent of being out there. But you know, we touched on the authentic authenticity. Yeah. You gotta make it fun. And I love what she had to say about that. That was cool. Yeah. And, and, if you're going to make the content, I think that's the key point to take away from this is is not feel like you're obligated to have a TikTok or you're obligated to have any sort of social media platform, um, but you're maybe you're obligated to at least be yourself. And, you know, at the end of the day, authenticity is the best thing we can do yeah. um, as, as artists and creatives. So uh, thanks for joining us for this episode. Yeah. Uh, we will see you next week. Don't forget to like and subscribe or whatever the buttons are below me. Um, and uh, we'll see you when we see you. Laters.